0: 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let me read our passage for us this morning. And let's let's actually stand together for the reading of God's word. We're going to be starting in verse 12 through 19. Paul says now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that uh, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be pleasing to you, God, that... You would use me, Lord, to be faithful to what your servant Paul has said so many years ago by your Holy Spirit, and because it is by your Holy Spirit, it is living and active, and it is just as applicable and useful for today when it comes to learning about you and growing in godliness, Lord, and so I pray for each and every one of us, Lord, coming from different parts of life coming from different weeks behind us and different weeks ahead of us that we would recognize how your word this very morning applies to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, just a bit of recap from last week's sermon. And let me just take a drink here first. Um, Those of you who don't know, uh, this actually has been kind of an interesting time for my family. At the beginning of the month of September, my uncle died of cancer, and then about three weeks later, my grandma died, same side of the family. So uh, Thursday morning, my wife and I drove down to um, Alabama, to Birmingham, and that took us about 12 hours. Then the next day, we did about four more hours down to Florida for the funeral. Finished the funeral, came back up four hours, slept, and then drove the last 12. So I've done, I feel like I've done about 30 hours or so over the last three days of driving. Um, but it's, just, it's interesting, you know, as I was driving and trying to almost uh, use my last couple days to prepare the rest of my message just in my head as I was driving, I kept thinking about what an interesting text I had to, to read and, and preach on this morning in light of the fact that uh, we're dealing with, with death uh, in my family so recently. And I was thinking, man, if I had the opportunity to preach uh, a sermon at a funeral to, to my family, I, I can't think of really a, a more important text. Are more important subject really to be, to be teaching on and preaching on. Uh, so if it comes to mind, please uh, keep my family in your prayers, especially those um, of them who are lost and they don't know the Lord, and um, that they would come to learn what we are going to learn this morning about the resurrection. Last week, Pastor Keith gave us some undeniable proofs from God's word about Christ's resurrection based on what Paul had said in the first 11 verses of the chapter that uh, Paul had seen Jesus after his resurrection. So Paul had a personal experience. And there were other eyewitness accounts as well from the church. There were multiple eyewitnesses. Those who could even speak to the resurrected Christ even in that day as the Corinthians had gathered together, some maybe even being in that church because, uh, as we know, there were many Jews who were dispersed over the Roman Empire who would have been in Jerusalem during the Passover. They would have uh, experienced the uh, death of Jesus. They, many of them probably would have experienced the resurrection of Jesus as well. And then they would have returned uh, to places like Corinth and churches in Asia Minor where synagogues were already set up. So these uh, people who had seen the resurrected Christ are now dispersed throughout the Roman Empire and able to speak as an eyewitness. Uh, Paul speaks of the scriptures being fulfilled and testifying about Jesus. These scriptures that were about the Messiah had been fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. And so there's these undeniable proofs of the life of Christ and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus and so now Paul is going to spend a few verses talking about why the resurrection from the dead is so important. Now, it's important for us today because much of our culture is, I would say, deist rather than Christian. We have moved in a, in a, in a deist direction, and what that means is really there is a, uh, this idea idea or belief in a general God who is probably too transcendent to really understand. And this is the kind of God that you'll see talked about by a lot of people. Uh, Maybe even if you watch enough TV shows, you'll see them referencing God, but it won't be necessarily the God of the Bible. It'll just be some sort of vague God. And this is how you can have a uh, deistic view of God where people can think, well, all religions point to the same God. That's kind of more of the God that characterizes our country right now, more than a Christian God. It's this general belief, not necessarily the triune God of the Bible. And even a lot of these people believe in some form of heaven, if you're a good enough person here on earth. But a lot of times what you'll notice is their view of the afterlife is very spiritual, And only in spiritual form. And really what this comes from is this dualistic understanding of soul and body that really can be traced back to Plato. Not so much the Hebrew scriptures, not so much the Bible that we hold in our hands today, but Greek philosophy, and so the idea that is kind of prevalent is the idea of an immortal soul, but the flesh, the physical body, you know, that just turns back to dust and returns to the earth and it is done away with. But the, the, what is immortal about us is the soul. And so uh, the idea even in the time of Plato was that the spiritual things are good and the physical things are evil. Um, and because they're evil, sometimes that led to even being um, not important. What we do with our physical bodies is not really all that important because it's the spiritual that matters. And unfortunately, this idea—even some Christians today—think uh, this way. You know, if you if you talk to uh, an average churchgoer, an average professing Christian, and you and you talk to them about the afterlife, you'll see that a lot of times they will elevate the spiritual over elements of the physical in a way that's not really found in scripture. Now, this is not the idea by the way of the flesh. Yes, we battle with the flesh. We we still experience physical death. We still deal with the old self. But the spiritual and physical beings are not at odds with one another. It's not a, that's not a Christian concept. They are united. And so therefore, What Paul is going to talk about is that though we will die, our physical bodies will die, our physical bodies and souls will be united again in the resurrection from the dead. Christian, you will spend eternity not just as a spirit. You will spend eternity as a physical being as well. You will still be soul and body together. This is what we look forward to in the future. This is what we look forward to after the final judgment and as we are resurrected and brought into glory. And what Paul is going to say is that this is an essential Christian doctrine. This is not an open-handed issue. This is not a minor doctrinal issue. In fact, it's so essential that to reject this teaching, Paul is going to say, is really to reject the resurrection of Christ himself. It's it's rejecting Christ. It's rejecting the Christian faith. And so the the physical bodily resurrection of Christ and our own physical bodily resurrection are actually linked. And to reject one is to reject the other. So this takes us into our first few verses. Paul says in verse 12, Now if Christ is preached... Dead. But if there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is also in vain. So he says, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ himself has not been raised from the dead. Paul is confronting this contradiction within the church. See, they believed that Jesus had raised from the dead. But some believed that the rest of humanity would not. And really this kind of goes back to this influence that separated the physical and the spiritual. In fact, you had some heresies that believed that Jesus um, really was not united to his physical body, but was really just a spirit, and his physical body was more like a shell that he had to walk in and deal with for a number of years. And what he was raised from was he was raised spiritually, not physically. And this is a heresy that was back then. It's a heresy still now that people believe. And what Paul's saying is, if, if that's true, right, that, that you your body will not be raised from the dead, then you cannot be contradicting yourself by saying that Christ's body was raised from the dead, because the two go hand in hand. It is the essential nature of Christian doctrine, and the rejection of this will corrupt the church. This is why Paul says, if Christ isn't raised from the dead, then our preaching and faith Is in vain, and then the word vain here—it's it's spiritually empty, it's worthless. And we'll talk about what the word worthless means later on. But this here, this vanity, is um, it—it has it has no value to it. It's a waste of time. All our ministry, all our hope, is worthless without the resurrection. It's discredited. It loses all value. Well, why? Because I cannot preach that Christ has conquered sin and death if he did not raise from the dead. The cross by itself is not enough. It is meaningless without the resurrection that comes afterward. You have to have the cross and the resurrection in tandem with one another. Sometimes when we preach the gospel even... um, You'll notice sometimes as you talk to people about the gospel, sometimes it's very focused on the cross and not necessarily the resurrection. And let me tell you, that's foreign to the way the gospel is preached throughout the book of Acts, even. The emphasis is on the resurrection. Why? Because our God lives. And he conquered sin and he conquered death. And the only way that we can know that that's possible is not because of the cross by itself, but because of what took place on the cross and the fact that then he rose again. So the cross is defeated. Satan is defeated. Sin is defeated. And the thing that all men fear the most, which is the great equalizer, death, is now defeated. And the reason why this is important is because a dead God is no God at all. And if that God did not conquer death, and if there is no resurrection from the dead, and everything that we do is vanity and worthless, then I have no justification for what I do here. Who cares? Uh, you know, this, this makes me think of, maybe some of you have heard of Pascal's wager. <coughs> Pascal's wager is it makes the most sense to believe in God. He says, if God does not exist, such a person will have only finite loss. You'll lose some pleasures, you'll lose some luxuries on this earth. Whereas if God does exist, he stands to receive infinite gains. Right? You have an eternity in heaven as opposed to infinite losses, which is an eternity in hell. And sometimes the way that this is explained uh, really actually goes against what Paul says here. Because Paul's going to say actually that if you uh, follow God your whole life and then none of this is real, you are most of all to be pitied. Paul does not think this way. To live as if God exists when he doesn't, to live as if there's a resurrection when there isn't one, is a waste of your time and your life and your faith and your works are all for nothing. Why should we live for God if there is no resurrection from the dead? Why instead just live for my own good pleasure? Well, Paul's going to take this even further and he says in verse 15, Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that He raised Christ whom He did not raise if in fact the dead are not raised. So now what Paul's saying is he doubles down. He says, not only is our preaching in vain, not only are our works for Christ in vain, but on top of that, we're liars. Whenever we preach the gospel, we are bearing false witness and lying about who God is and what he has done through Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is just a man who died. There is no gospel, and that makes us all blasphemers and liars. And so Paul says that if there is no resurrection from the dead, then we actually testify against God. We are false prophets. But we worship a God of truth, do we not? The Bible says that liars and blasphemers will have their la- their part in the lake of fire. They will go to hell. So this is not a simple matter of misrepresenting God. And what I should say actually is it's not a simple matter to misrepresent God. It's a fearful thing. We must get God right. We must understand God correctly. We must know what his word says. All our misrepresentations, all our misunderstandings about God will be corrected. But there are certain things that are so important that if you get them wrong, you will spend eternity in hell. And this then leads into the last few verses here. Verse 16, he says, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. So again, he says, he repeats what he says earlier. In verse 16, he repeats what he says in verse 14. If the dead are not raised, neither is Christ. If people are not raised from the dead then neither was Jesus of Nazareth. Right? Jesus was fully God, but He was also fully human. And that's our linking with Jesus as humans. Jesus had to be fully God, but He also had to be fully human for us to receive the benefits of salvation. So therefore, His resurrection could not simply be spiritual, and it could not simply be the God part of him that is resurrected. His humanity needed to be raised from the dead as well. It had to be a physical, bodily, human resurrection. So if Paul's saying, so if you are saying, based on your philosophy, that human bodies are not raised... From the dead, then essentially what you are saying is that Jesus could not be raised from the dead because he would then be lacking his physical body. And if he's lacking his physical body, then we are not joined to Christ. And so here are the consequences that Paul lays out. First, he says, Your faith is worthless, it means powerless here. It's unfruitful. It cannot save you. Now, now, let me step back a bit. This idea of our faith not being able to save us. See, faith is a beautiful gift, but it has to be placed in the right things. You have to have the right object of your faith. There are plenty of faithful people throughout this world who do not have faith in Jesus Christ, and their faith is powerless. It's worthless. It will not get them into heaven. It will not get them eternity. Our faith has to have the right object. And the object of our faith has to be the one who conquered sin and death through his resurrection. So he says, Your faith is worthless. It is powerful. It is unfruitful. It cannot save you. Then he says, And you are still in your sins. If Jesus did not physically raise from the dead, his humanity is still dead and there is no new creation, which means that you cannot become a new creation. And what that means is you are then stuck under the headship of the first Adam. You are still in your sins. And you will face God's wrath. And this leads into his last consequence. And you who die in Christ will still perish. This is what he says in verse 18. Those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. It means that your death will be no different than an unbeliever. You are condemned and you will suffer God's torment. And that's why Paul ends his passage here with, he says, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. I was trying to think of an illustration for this in the car ride and actually something that came to mind was um, the Buffalo Bills. I'll catch you up. The Buffalo Bills, right, what are they known for? football, right? But they're known for losing four straight Super Bowls. I mean, my goodness, four straight Super Bowls. There is nothing worse than having hope and confidence and coming up short. Now, here's what I mean. And this is why I was using the Buffalo Bills. Does anyone remember who came in last place those four years? No. No. Everybody remembers this team that had all the confidence in the world that they would be unstoppable. And they failed year after year after year. And who had it the worst? I would say it was probably the fans. Because year after year, they had hope and confidence that their team would pull through and there would finally be something to celebrate in Buffalo. And year after year, it came up short. And so now, right, you don't pity the team that came in last place. That team you probably knew by week two wasn't going to be doing anything. You pity the one that kept getting so close and failing. And why? Because every year, they saw the hope and the confidence, and they were so convinced it'll finally be our year. It can't happen twice in a row. It can't happen three times in a row. It couldn't possibly happen four times in a row. And the hope was dashed. In fact, they're so pitied that ESPN made a documentary about how sad it was that they lost four years in a row and how sad it was seeing this this city have to deal with it. There's nothing worse than having hope and confidence and living according to that hope and confidence only to come up short. That's why Paul says, You know, just like the Buffalo Bills, a life that has no hope because there is no resurrection, it's a tragic joke. And those are the people who are most to be pitied. See, without the resurrection, all our hope is lost. Everything that we are confident in, everything that we are working for is worthless and for nothing. But the worst part about it is that we lose in the worst way because we're so convinced. If there is no resurrection, then we are most of all to be pitied because our Savior is a failure, our God is a liar, and we have been made to look like fools. And there is nothing more pitiful than a fool who is doomed to failure because of his own foolishness. So without the resurrection, you see in your notes here, it says no resurrection, no hope. Right? Without the resurrection, there's no hope for salvation. There's no hope for eternity. And quite frankly, not having hope is a really dangerous thing. Most of us can probably look at times in our lives where we've been hopeless. And it probably wasn't the hopeless times that led us out of the darkness. In fact, being hopeless probably led us deeper and deeper into darkness hope brings us into the light and one of the things that we need to recognize is that there is no hope in the world without the resurrection we have no hope we're, we're simply just we're simply just products of this world with nothing to look forward to without the resurrection we might as well eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die without hope without the hope of the resurrection you end up getting doctrines like evolution because you have to make sense of why there's no purpose why there's no hope for you And this is what people are being taught. This is the secular worldview and the the lack of hope that's being taught in in schools to our children, that you are a cosmic accident in a world that has no hope and doesn't matter. But at the same time, then they'll tell you, but you're special. No hope leads to crime, no hope leads to divorce, No hope leads to suicide. No hope leads to abortion. Because people are desperate for hope. And people can become so desperate for hope that they will literally claw and cling at anything that might offer it. Even if it's only momentary. And what they need is to be told about the resurrection. So here's some application for us. First, first, Proper theology is essential in this case. We must know God rightly. We must know Him correctly if we are going to have hope, if we are going to know the resurrection. And to do that, we must know His Word. Right? Those with poor theology are much more open to attack. They're much more, much more open to these false ideas and false doctrines that are being taught in Corinth. By the way, there's nothing new under the sun. The things that are being spread in Corinth and were believed, the cultural syncretism, the doctrinal issues, we see the same things today. We've seen it throughout history. Those with poor theology are more open to attack and they'll think wrongly about God and many of them will then teach wrongly about God and will lead themselves and others to hell. Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, the prosperity gospel, the emergent church movement, liberal Christianity, they all have bad theology and they all began because of bad theology and lies about God. So we need to have a right understanding of God based on what His Word teaches. His Word doesn't teach that we're just going to be spirits for all eternity and there'll be, there'll be no physical resurrection. His Word teaches that because Christ was raised bodily, we too will be resurrected bodily from the dead for eternity. But a lot of times people aren't interested in theology. And many go to churches, and in fact even some probably come here and they just want to feel good, or they think that theology is too much and just want some behavior modification, or they just want a list of A, B, C, give me something to do, give me some self-help, and that's not enough. That will not save you. We must know God. We must know His work. We must believe the gospel. We must understand that we are dead in our sins, that we can only be made alive through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We must believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We must believe in the resurrection of His saints. It's not optional. It's not a minor issue. Now, we talk about it a lot in this church. We do. And so I'm confident that as Pastor Keith and I come up and preach week after week, and as we get together on Wednesday nights, or as we get together on Friday nights, you've been hearing about the resurrection. You've been hearing the gospel. But you would be surprised that when you see these surveys that we get, Uh, online of the survey of evangelical Christians throughout the country. Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Was it a bodily resurrection? The amount of people that will say no. And yet they'll sit in church week after week and they'll sing the songs and they'll hear the word being preached and they'll think they're saved, but they don't know the truth. They don't understand the resurrection. And here's the thing. Our actions then follow our theology. If you truly believe the gospel, then your life will be characterized by this hope in the resurrection. And if you hope in the resurrection, then your life will look drastically dedicated to Jesus Christ. Does that make sense logically, right? I mean, we're tracking with that. If we have hope in the resurrection... If we have hope in who Jesus Christ is and we actually believe that, then everything in our life changes. Everything in our life becomes about that because you live for what you hope for. I could do another sports analogy there because I know there's some people who are so invested in their sports team and I know this from first-hand experience um, with Raider fans especially that if the Raiders lose on Sunday, you have guys that don't show up to work on Monday. Their hope is invested in the wrong things. But our hope is invested in the right things. But that means, just like the the, uh, ridiculous Raider fan, we need to have our lives so dedicated to that which we hope for. Because nothing else matters. But for a lot of us, I'm concerned that we don't actually believe this. For a lot of us, we have a life that is dedicated to self more than anything else. We don't preach the gospel to anyone. We don't sing songs on Sunday mornings. We dread Bible study or we skip out on the prayer nights. Communion is meaningless. You're not paying attention to the sermons. You're a hearer of God's word but not a doer. Week after week, you come in, you hear the message, but it never actually changes you, it never actually impacts you. You hear it, and then you just continue on with life as usual. You're inconsistent, and you're coming on Sunday mornings. You aren't dedicated to a local church. You don't serve, you don't tithe, you don't take counsel. For many of us, our problem is that we deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ by the very life that we live. For a lot of us, our life and the way that we choose to live shows that we don't actually hope in the resurrection, that our hope is in the world, that our hope is in the schools, that our hope is in education, that our hope is in our work or in our retirement, or our hope is in our family, or our hope is in uh, you know a beautiful house and a beautiful car, success. Our life and our action is the denial of the resurrection that we claim to believe. So, what we need to do in light of our passage this morning is we need to look at our life. Examine your life, examine your heart examine your mind, but also examine how do you live and think day to day? And where do you honestly put your hope? When you go through financial crisis, where do you put your hope? When you go through an unexpected flat tire, where do you put your hope? When you go through a crisis with your kids, where do you put your hope? When you live in the unsurety of what tomorrow will bring, where do you put your hope? Don't tell me, Jesus, when everything about your life says that it's not true or that it's secondary. We all need to be aware of that. That's the kind of examination that that God wants for us because God sees you. He sees me. He knows the truth. And so what we need to do, if you haven't done so already in your life, you need to repent and place your hope in the gospel. You need to repent and put your hope in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you have done that, but you see that your life does not look like that's the primary priority, for you, then now is also a time to repent, to turn away from the things of the world, and to turn toward Jesus Christ and say, yes, my hope is in the resurrection.